My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and um, I've been thinking a lot about the, the growing the good, what kind of good God is growing, and we've been trying to capture some stories of that. I'd like you to turn to your neighbor, if you would, and share something good that happened to you this week, some good experience or some good thought or some good thing that you think maybe God had something to do with, and just share that briefly. Go ahead and talk. Good. Love to hear that buzz. That makes me think some good stuff must have happened. I had a uh, mixed week, as probably most of you did, but there was some really good stuff that happened on Friday. Got to celebrate Mary's birthday. And and also we got to go see that new miracle baby when she was about six hours old. That is pretty special. So, um, so Jennifer didn't come in to work on Friday, and um, my laptop would not start, so I blame her for that. And um, my sermon was on my laptop, and because I had a bunch of other stuff going, I wrote the whole thing on Wednesday, and I couldn't get it. So the sermon's still on my laptop. If there's anybody here who can go get my laptop to work, I would really appreciate that. But I know what passage we're supposed to read today because we're going through the book of Philippians in order. So we're up to Philippians chapter 3. So let's start with that. So everyone turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, great. Grab a Bible out of the chair or open up your phone or your device to a, a good Bible app. Philippians chapter 3 is toward the last piece of the, Old, or of the New Testament. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. That's your neighborhood you're going to go to. And then Philippians chapter 3. So I want you to know I'm praying for you, and today especially I want to know you're praying for me, so I offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. Philippians 3, starting with verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus... Who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else tricks, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in their flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ 
the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I was discussing with a small group of people um, the book of Philippians and, and preaching through that, and one thing that came up in this discussion was talking about how many verses in Philippians have the status of life verses. When we're reading through these, there are those little verses that really speak to us, and oftentimes people adopt them as a verse that guides their whole life. One of those is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Anyone here have Philippians 1.6 as a life verse? Okay, well, there's some other good options here. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Great life verse. Anybody? Okay, not so much. How about Philippians 4, 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a great passage. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is noble... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Great life verse. Somebody, some nods out there. Good, good. How about this one? Philippians 4.13. Anybody? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's been one of my guiding verses throughout my life. Or Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. These are great passages. In the whole book of Philippians is filled with these little nuggets you can pick out for life verses. There was one verse that struck me in today's reading. I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody use as a life verse. It's uh, verse 2. Anybody ever have this one? Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Anybody? Probably not your typical life verse. I've been really enjoying the devotional. Hopefully you all have been following through and, and maybe kind of wrapping it up in the next week or so. But a lot of these key verses were in here. Philippians 1, 6 was in there like seven times. Seven different people commented on that verse. Nobody commented on verse, chapter 3, verse 2. No, watch out for those dogs uh, meditations in here. Now, I was thinking about why that verse actually does become such a great introduction for chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Because what's happening here is Paul is saying... I want to safeguard the thing that is the most important. So I'm going to give you a warning at the beginning of this chapter. And the warning is what not to do and what to look out for so you don't get sucked into this path of following something that's not going to prove valuable to you. He says, watch out for these evildoers, these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh. And what Paul wants to make clear is this. Some people think that they can add to the work that Christ has done. 
They think that if they live a good life, if they do the right things, if they, if they follow Christ more passionately, this is going to add to the work that Christ done. And in the church of Philippi, there were people who came along and said, you know what, Christ was good and what he did was a nice thing. But if you really want to be right with God, what you have to do is you have to go back and you have to obey all the laws that the Jews followed. You have to keep all those laws rigorously in order for God to give you approval. Some of them were coming in there and saying, you know, you've got to keep the ceremonial laws. You've got to keep all the rituals. You've got to get circumcised which is where the mutilation part comes in. He was saying, if you want to get right with God, you have to do this. If you want to get right with God, if you want to earn God's approval and God's blessing, then you have to follow all of these things to the letter, and then God will love you. And Paul says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. This is not true. He wants us to focus on the thing that's most important and most valuable, and that is this. We receive all of God's blessings through faith alone in Christ alone. That's where God's blessing comes. You can't add to it. You can't earn it. You can't get God's approval any more than you already get it through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I want to safeguard this. This is so important. And he goes on to say that if anyone has uh, room to talk about this, it's Paul. Because Paul was one who put a lot of confidence in his flesh, in his deeds. This is what he says about it. He says, I myself have many reasons for this. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, I did everything right. And... It didn't earn me God's approval. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And the way Paul came to that conclusion was he had uh, an aha moment on the road to Damascus. See, living out his life of faith and persecuting the Christians with great zeal, he was traveling to Damascus, and on the road, he met Jesus. And in the moment he met Jesus, he was knocked to his knees, and he was forgiven for everything that he'd ever done even for murder. He was washed clean. He was made whole. Paul on that road became one of God's own children, one of his sons. And it wasn't based on anything that Paul had done. It was based on a free gift given to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happened to him. So that he can come to this conclusion. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul meets Jesus, and it reorders his whole world. It changes all his priorities, his entire value system is undermined and reestablished so that Paul abandons worthless garbage. Actually, the word in the passage that says garbage or some versions say rubbish is actually literally manure. So Paul says, I came to Christ and I realized everything else I was pursuing in life is a steaming pile of Manure. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking too. <laughs> it's relative value. 
he thought it was worth so much. And now when he sees the, the gift that comes through faith in Christ, he goes, it's not worth anything. It's an aha moment. It shifts his perspective. It changes his priorities. It changes his values. And he's inviting us to think about that too. Abandon worthless garbage so that he can discover ultimate worth. He discovers the thing that's far more valuable than anything else that we could ever pursue in life. And then once he finds that, he wants to protect what's most valuable. And that's what he's writing in this chapter to these people about, saying, abandon your garbage, discover what's most valuable, and then protect it, pursue it. Do everything you can to hold it close and not let go of it. That's what we do with our valuable stuff, isn't it? We protect it. And if I want to find out what's really important or really valuable, I look to see what you have locked up, what's in a safe deposit box or what's in the fireproof safe under your bed or maybe what's in your mattress. What are the things you protect, you hide, you keep safe? Those are the things that we value. One of my hopes for this whole Grow the Good campaign has been that we would come to some aha moments where we actually stop and consider what in our life is most valuable and that this pause causes us to maybe reevaluate and reprioritize so that our hearts are maybe turned around a little bit so that stuff that we have been holding on really tightly, stuff that we have been pursuing with great vigor and passion, we realize, well, that stuff is kind of more like garbage in perspective because of the surpassing worth and value of knowing Christ. And would this reorient our hearts so that we begin to recognize that we can trust God to provide everything, always. I have to confess to you that oftentimes I find my heart is, uh, feels most secure when my bank account is full. What am I trusting? I'm trusting the stuff that I have, the resources that I have accumulated. And so I know that my heart needs to be reoriented so that I can recognize who really do I trust? What do I really trust to give me security in life? Do I trust God to take care of me? Do I trust God to continue the good work in me that he starts no matter what else happens in my circumstance? Do I trust the power of the gospel that as I'm hearing the gospel, it's transforming me and transforming my community? Do I trust God to take care of me this is really what we want to grow in the grow the good. That's the good we want to grow, that we have hearts that are more turned toward God and trusting Him. So this is part of the reason for the campaign. I think the most important reason that we have these aha moments, but of course, we've been trying to give you the details so we're clear about all that's happening in this campaign. So you heard it's a three-year deal. We're asking people to say, make a commitment. What do you think God would lead you to give over the next three years? We're asking people to make pledges, which we don't do a lot around here, but we're saying, is God leading you to do that? We recognize circumstances change, so some people will be able to actually give more than they pledge. Some people might not be able to make their pledge. That's between you and God. We said early on in this, we're not going to harass somebody or we're not going to uh, coerce somebody. We're not trying to force anybody to participate. We feel like God's stirring things up, and when God stirs up your heart, then you respond. And one of those responses would be to give, and to give above and beyond. So some of you are already good, generous givers, tithers, people who give regularly. 
we're saying this is more than that. The, the regular giving, the regular offerings have to continue because we still have our ministry, we still turn on the lights, we still pay salaries, we still do all of our normal things with that offering. This is an extra offering to go for the uh, upkeep and the, the refreshing of our building. And we're going to track the progress of this over three years and we'll keep informing people about what they've done, but we're not going to come track you down. I think we're going to actually use this flower in the flower pot back there. You can't miss it, this big giant thing out there. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to use that to track this, but you'll see progress on that. Come back next week and see if the flower is different, I guess. And um, we're going to ask you to take that blue card by the end of the service and actually respond so you can start to think about that. Uh, Before that, just a couple more thoughts on uh, aha moments and kind of reorienting. When we were talking about this Tuesday with this little group, Steve Poole was part of the group, and he suggested a couple of case studies that came from a guy named Chip Ingram, who does a Life on the Edge podcast. If you want to listen to a good podcast, he does a good job with that. And so I went back, based on Steve's recommendation, to find that actual podcast and listen to it, and he actually talked about three case studies in this, and I wanted to share them with you. The first case study is a guy named John, who's an antique buff, and so he goes around and he looks at estate sales and finds interesting things and purchases them. And one of the estates he went to was a little different because they were selling the entire house and all of its possessions as is in one chunk. So they were looking for people to bid on the whole thing. And so he was snooping around the house looking at stuff. And he came across this old desk and he noticed that in this desk there was like a secret drawer. And he figured out how to open the secret drawer. And when he did, he found in this drawer a bunch of Civil War gold coins. And he immediately did a little calculation and realized there are millions of dollars worth of gold coins in this drawer. So he closed the drawer, and then he had to figure out what to do. He had heard rumors that the the final bid was probably going to be in the range of $100,000 to buy this whole property and all of its contents. And he calculated he would have to you know, take all of his savings. He'd have to sell his current house. He would have to maybe get a loan, maybe sell his car. He, he could probably scrape together $100,000, but it would take all that he had to get this purchase. What would you tell John to do? Okay, case study number two was about a woman named Sue. And Sue was an art professor And in her summer, she went to Europe to look at art and stuff. At one trip, she was in a little village in France, and they, when she got there, they were having an art sale where all the local people had put together their things to sell and raise money for a community project. As she was looking at the pieces of art that were for sale, she found one that was a Picasso, but it was, uh, everybody was saying it's a print, it's not an original, but still it had like a $25,000 price tag on it, and... um, This art professor looked at it carefully, and she realized uh, the reason they thought it was a print was because it didn't have the right signature. She knew that two of his early paintings he signed differently, and she determined that this was one of two paintings that Picasso actually painted and added this signature to it. She calculated the painting was worth $100 million. She did not have the $25,000 to purchase it and realized that being a poor professor, she would have to scrape together a whole bunch of resources and sell her car and her house and her savings and all this stuff to try to get enough money to buy this painting. What would you tell Sue to do? Okay, case study number three. A man finds a treasure buried in the field. 
Once he sees the treasure that's in this chest, he reburies the field, and then he has to decide whether or not he's going to purchase the field. What would you tell him to do? Okay, there is some risk involved in all these three things. I recognize that, but it's about perspective, and it's about value, and you have to figure out what you're going to do. And i got a couple Bible verses that might help. The first one's from Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went out and he sold everything he had. And then he came back and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one pearl of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. And here's some passages that give me aha pauses from Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And this from a little bit later in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. One more story. I heard Frederick Beekner is a pastor and writer, and he tells a story about some missionaries in China. And this was in the day right before communists took over China and the missionaries were being ousted from the country. And so some soldiers came to the missionaries and said to this man and his wife, uh, you're going to be forced to leave the country in two hours. We're going to come back and ship you out of here. In the meantime, you can select the items that are most valuable to you that you want to take, but the total has to be 200 pounds or less. And the soldiers left. And this man and woman went through their house looking at all the stuff that they had, and they had to decide about this book and this family heirloom and this photo album. And they made many trips to the bathroom scale and weighed it out and got all their stuff piled by the front door. They got exactly 200 pounds. And then two hours later, the soldiers came back to get them and the commander said to them, have you got your stuff gathered? And they said, yeah, is it 200 pounds? They go, yeah, it's exactly 200 pounds. And then the guy says, did you weigh your children? And in a moment... All the stuff they had piled there was rubbish, right? It flips your perspective. That's what these passages do for me. I'm hoping that that's what this campaign can do for all of us. So we'll learn to abandon the garbage 
And we'll discover what is most valuable. And then we'll take every step we can take to protect the stuff that is most valuable. And if that happens, then I think we're going to have a fantastic outcome from Grow the Good. So let's pray about that. Lord God, we come to you today, and I thank you for these good people and for their willingness to sit here and think about what matters to them and what's valuable and what's important. And God, I thank you for the kind of people we have in our church who are kind and generous, giving people. We are so blessed. And now you're calling us to think about that again, and I pray that your spirit would be here at work. I want to pray, God, for those here today who might be facing some difficult times. They've been through a tough week, maybe a bunch of weeks that are tough, that you would come near to them and wrap your strong arms around them, help them to know what it means to trust in you, to be cared for by you. I think particularly of those who are grieving, those who have lost loved ones in the past week. We, we pray for the Schmidt family and ask that you'll comfort them. I want to pray for the Bleeker family and ask that you'd watch over them, give comfort to those who need to be comforted. We also pray, God, for individuals today who are not feeling well, who are under the weather, those who are sick or recovering from surgery, those who maybe are anticipating surgery. God, help them to know that you care that you will wrap your strong arms around them to bring healing and health and strength. God, for those that don't have health uh, as fast as they would like, would you come near and give them um, peace? Help them to know that you are present with them. God, for some who might be here today and they're wrestling with the very things we're talking about, their financial situation is not great. They're dealing with debt. They're dealing with not having enough resources, maybe not the right job or looking for a job. Um, we ask that you will come near and provide for them. We entrust ourselves into your hands, God, and we know that you take care of us always. And I just pray for reminders of that and help us to know that you are, are with us. So thank you, God, for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.